slime season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On America's ooeyest and gooeyest podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, smoking on that evil, no Knievel, bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm the red blob of communism, Ben Sheets. Hi, I'm a gooped up white boy, Cleveland Mosier. <laughs> With a little bit of swag. A little bit of swag, a little B- bit of slime. Busting it, busting it down blob style. Busting it, blobbing it down sexual style. There we go. Silicone, no, blobbing it down silicone style. style. There we go. We had to workshop it, but we got there. Is he goaded with the slime? Oh, so goaded. So gooped. Well, we're we're back and in much better spirits oh, tonight, I think. Absolutely. Um, because we're we're continuing with part two of our six-year Potiversary original versus remake special. Last week we talked about uh, the 1958 uh, version of The Blob, which was uh, a... Huge disappointment. Nineteen fifty late. Nineteen fifty late. Now we're uh, we've jumped to present day to the year nineteen nineteen eighty eight. Thirty years. Here we are. Thirty years ahead. Here we are, and we're talking about the remake of The Blob, um, directed by Chuck Grassley. No, that's not right. <laughs> Dairy Queen's pretty good for you know what. Yeah, I don't um, know what Chuck Russell. Chuck Russell. Yes, thank you, yeah, Jesus Ruck Christ. Russell. I don't know what the fuck was going on there. The, um, the Russeller. He's coming. Well, yeah. So this is this is directed by by Chuck Russell. I will say this movie. Just a lot of rustling Chuck. Because it looks kind of like well, meat. It's yeah. like rustling around. All right, I'll allow uh, it. Yeah. Um, we This is not our first time uh, <laughs> talking about a, a film directed by Chuck Russell. Um, he also did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Oh, and it shows. Yeah. Um, One of the wildest careers. I mentioned it right before we recorded, but he has like four major movies, right? It's Dream Warriors, The Blob. The Mask, featuring Jim Carrey, and the Scorpion, Scorpion King. King. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. he has five. He has Eraser, starring uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, so. And then he kind of fell off low-key yeah. after that. Um, Scorpion the Scorpion King. After the Scorpion King. Hey, hey, yeah. easy, hey, easy. I mean, not hey. a good movie. Uh, mm, hold up. <laughs> It's, it's not. Bad. I haven't seen it since I was a child, but man, I used to watch that movie on repeat. Yeah. I loved The Scorpion King as a kid, man. I think you're just riding the high off of uh, watching The Mummy recently. Oh, I think so you're, good. yeah, I think you're, so you're good. maybe misremembering how good The Scorpion probably, King been, actually is. I just said, I smelled what The Rock was cooking. But was you know what? It doesn't even matter. <laughs> I am more than willing to forgive Chuck Russell uh, of The Scorpion King because he did Dream Warriors, yeah. the uh, the second best, I think, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, second or third. Debatable, yeah. I haven't seen um, the, it's, the ones that compete, so for me, it's the best. It's it's my it's my it's films. my second favorite after the original, but uh, because of that and because of this, which I think is his true magnum opus, The yes. Blob, which he actually I somehow always forget this, but it makes so much sense. He co-wrote this with Frank Darabont, mm-hmm. um, who is A the legendary writer and director. Legendary writer director who I think has uh, no question the highest number of good Stephen King adaptations. Um, You know, famously directed and, you know, adapted Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist. 
Yes. Uh, which is my probably my personal favorite. Um, and also did the first season of The Walking Dead back when that show was good. Um, so, yeah, you've got the dream team of Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell writing this thing, Chuck Russell directing. And, man, just <sighs> compared to the 50s one, night and fucking day, man. Well, what I mm-hmm. love so much about it is, like, especially in the first half, they take a lot of plot points Oh. And elements directly from the original. I would say from and beginning to end. Recontextualize them yeah. um, in interesting ways. And subvert some of them yeah. in fun, in fun, cool ways, which we'll get into. Um, yeah, I, I'd say, like, just blanket statement, pretty much all of our problems with the 50s one are solved in this one. Easily. Um, yeah. I wouldn't even say pretty much. I would say every single yeah. one is addressed beautifully. Yeah. The crazy thing is that it's about the same length as, <laughs> but, as yeah, the original, it feels but like it's three times shorter. Yeah, well, and and so much more happens in it. It's just like it it's paced so well. Like it doesn't it doesn't start off like too fast, but like once it gets going, like it fucking clips along. Yeah, it yeah. eases you right in. Well, and we we complained in the original about not much happening. And on the other side, with this... <laughs> a feast. There's, so much It's happens. a feast of riches, and I will say, like, honestly, it's easy to say, like, the fly or the thing is the best example of practical effects of all time. I think it's this movie due solely to the breadth and variety of effects. Oh, the breadth. Yeah, yeah I, it's just It's just so expansive. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think this movie is is yeah. easily on par with the thing in Same. terms of like practical effects yeah, and like more. monster showcase. Yeah. yeah, I mean or, or I mean the thing is full of them too. I I but it's just as much, I think. Mm-hmm. Um if if not more. Um There's a certain precision to the thing, like like each sequence in it is so distinct and uh unique to itself. Largely, whereas the blob, it's always we're featuring the blob. We're going hard with the blob, and we're doing a lot of unique things with it and the, the texture of it. But in the thing, like the sequence with the dogs, is so different from the sequence where the head gets up and starts crawling around, and like they're all like very unique. And here they are, they are as well. Like they get a lot of mileage out well, of that's, the blob. That's what's great about this movie is that weird goo is it like stuff. for for a monster that is just like a big blob that like engulfs people and dissolves them. Ugh. You get so many like incredibly fun creative kills out of this movie and like they're all handled so well effects wise. I think something like I was reading something like 50% of the film's budget was effects. That doesn't um, surprise me. I'm surprised it's not more even, honestly. And so, so well utilized. Well, I mean, yeah. watching the credits, like, how over half the credits was a, various effects yeah. department. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's just, like, a yeah. paragraph of Carpenters, Yeah, for instance. Yeah, well... So much respect. You know, I, I do agree that, you know, there's a precision to, like, the thing's effects, but, like, a lot of the thing is based on the tension of not knowing when it's going to appear or who's been turned and who's he's still human. Whereas this movie, it's the blob and, you know, we get oh, it it's the throughout blob. the movie. Like, I don't think there's any five-minute chunk outside of maybe the intro to this movie where we don't see the blob. Um, it is constantly featured. There's the, the, the run of the, the 
what are they called? Like the hazmat team. I think that that sequence... The, gov- like, the government spooks. Yeah, I mean, it's in. still intercut. It's still intercut with the the movie theater sequence and mm-hmm. things like that. Well, it's all action, like, regardless. Like, uh, you know, like, when they're, they're chasing after after him through the woods, and they're, they're, the exposition even is, like, pretty rich with him, like, pulling up the satellite meteor and all that stuff. Like, it, yeah, it's got a great... It's got great pacing across the board, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like if, absolutely. If, oh, yeah, all I'm really trying to say is, like, if blob things aren't happening... It's not like cool it's, bore, it's not boring. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, totally unlike the 50s one where we were all just like bored out of our fucking I, gourds for the entire goddamn movie. Like asleep. it's this is like there's no time to be bored. There's so much happening. Yeah. Um, it's it's really excellent. And the blob does all of the things that the song in the 50s one promised in like the first. It leaps. 20 minutes. It creeps. It glides, it slides across, across the floor, floor and through, through the, the door, door and all around the walls and the ceiling. And the ceiling. Yeah, that was so it does, it does, it does some extra stuff. Yeah. yeah, it does extra stuff. Um, well, so. I think it's good. We can all celebrate. Happy Feliz Navi Blob to all of you. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Feliz Navi Blob, Clave. <laughs> Feliz Navi Blob. Well, let's start at the beginning. So, yeah. Um, you know, this film takes a lot of plot elements from the original. You know, you have your uh, football star jock character who, uh, you know, asks the the cheerleader out on a date. Well, you know? I love. I'd love to get into some specifics sure. on that, too, because, like, I, I think that sequence is lovely. It's not just that he, he muscles up the courage to ask her on a date. He's he's sitting on the sidelines um, after like a, an incredible football play. The game is still going on in front of him, and his buddy tells him like, "Yo, you gotta ask her out, man. Like, you gotta do it." And he's like, "You know, I think I'm gonna do it." And he's like, "No, you're not." And he's like, "I will, but I gotta wait for the right moment. It's all about timing." I love that dialogue. It's really sweet. We also see the majority of the cast just um, in the stands, yep, shouting, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I, I like that setup too. It's a small town. Everybody's there. Everyone's celebrating the football game. This movie does a great job of setup and payoff yeah. all throughout. It is supreme. It's my favorite. It, every little detail gets some sort of payoff. Um, yeah. Well, and organically uh, too, it always, it always comes up at just the right time. Y- for the you fun. know, you mentioned waiting for the right moment. Like the moment happens, he gets tackled and knocked to the ground yeah, yeah, he gets, he gets back into he the He gets game. tackled. He gets tackled like by like four or five dudes, like through like the the refreshment like refreshments table. table. The table in half. Yeah, and and he's just like covered in just like this pile, a blob even of <laughs> dudes, and they all sort of like peel themselves off him, and he's like laying there dazed. But he has the football. He didn't drop it, so you know he got the first down or whatever, and then like. Meg, the cheerleader, uh, is is standing over him, and he just looks up, and he's like, hey, Meg, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> timing. <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, we should mention, too, that uh, that Meg is played by Shawnee Smith, um, who people might recognize from uh, the Saw movies. Uh, she plays Amanda. We'll be seeing her in just uh, next week, even. Yeah. Uh, when, when Saw <laughs> 10 comes out. Oh, boy. I think she's really good in this. This wasn't, like, her first role, um, but uh, it is an early one. Unlike the 50s one, the kids are, like, believable 
kids and in this. Charming. I think good I think characters. I think yeah, I think Shawnee Smith was like 19 or 20 when they filmed this. So, you know, young enough to be believably like a high school student, but still competent at acting. Right, yeah, exactly. Thankfully. Yeah. And you know, we also set up the the sort of like loner bad boy character played by Kevin Dillon. Um, you know, the motorcycle riding leather jacket m- mullet badass. Um, I love the way they introduce him because he's like out at like this gulch and he's like another great setup. trying to yeah that then gets great payoff later. But yeah, he's trying to um, jump like this old broken bridge on his motorcycle and as he's gearing up as he gets close like his motorcycle starts like making noises so like he he bails right as he gets to the edge of the bridge and sort of like falls off and the homeless guy is there like watching him and he gives him a little applause pours a little out pours pours one out for him a little bit um just like all this great setup to all of these characters we got to talk about when uh, Paul, the the football star, uh, is with his buddy and they go to the pharmacy because his buddy's also got a date that night and he's going to get condoms. And, you know, as he's, like, asking the pharmacist for them, he's, like, talking. The reverend walks up and is talking to him and the pharmacist comes up and is, like, regular or ribbed. And he, like, looks at the reverend. He's like, oh, it's not even for me. It's for my buddy over there. He's too nervous to do it. But he's taking a girl out tonight, and I told him he's got to use protection. So I'm, I'm, he asked me to buy these for him. It's not for me, I swear. Um, and then the payoff for that is uh, the pharmacist is Meg's dad. It's perfect. The reveal is amazing. What is it? Like, because uh, she comes into the living room after introducing several other characters um, like her little brother and her mom, and she just says, hey, Dad, and there's someone reading the newspaper, and the newspaper comes down, and it's his face, and he sees the, the, the boyfriend is there. Oh, revelations. It's so funny. So funny. It's, it's just perfectly, it's, it's just mm, chef's kiss. And, and again, too, like, we're, we're sitting down to watch this movie that, like, I've always heard is an amazing effects spectacle, and we're running through some of these characters that were sort of introduced just just the other day for us. Um, and I didn't mind at all. Like, I, I never minded the set, like any of the setups for this film or the character introductions because they're just so well, like, written and charming. And they're not overly deep or complex or convoluted. Well, and it's the, just everything it needs to be. The it's, crazy it's, thing is there's lovely. so much more, like, actual setup in this movie than in the 50s one because the 50s one starts... With, like, uh, Steve McQueen and the girlfriend, like, on the date. They're already out, and they, like, the first thing that happens is they see, like, the meteor fall. So, like, it starts with the quote-unquote action so much faster, but there's just so much of nothing happening. Whereas this movie takes all of this time to set up all of these different characters with these great little gags and bits and getting to know all of them and everybody who's in the town who are going to be seeing killed horribly (laughs) the rest of the movie and it's just like so much more lively but it's cool it's really tightly paced and edited too mm-hmm. like the even the way uh sequences are cross cut mm-hmm. is really sharply done for example um brian kind of the bad boy motorcycle leather jacket character he's introduced by he uh is trying to do this big jump 
yeah. you know, that we mentioned earlier. And, uh, you know, as he's going, it's cross-cut with the football game and the cheering of the crowd. And it almost Everyone's feels... Everyone's chanting, go, 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 yeah, go. It almost feels like they're cheering for him. And yeah. that's very intentionally cut that way. On the uh, In addition to that, like, after the football game gets out, we cut over to the diner and introduce the oh. sheriff mm-hmm. and the uh, uh, waitress that worked there. Um, and so, as the crowd comes in, well, they have to kind of split their conversation. But even and- before that, there's a wonderful bit of dialogue that's that reflects the blob coming in. Where she says to the sheriff, because the sheriff's like, oh, it's pretty dead in here right now because of the football game. And she says, well, once they're all done screaming out there, they're going to come rushing in. And I love that. It relates to the blob so much. But anyway. Yeah, no, I, what I was just emphasizing is, like, the transitions between scenes and the way they introduce characters yeah. between these scenes is very fluid and feels just so smartly... Crafted. Well, to to jump back even farther to like the very very beginning of the film, I love the way that they set it up over the opening credits because like starts with like a wide shot of the town in the mountains. It's set in Colorado, and like we start going into the town and just getting like all of these shots, and it's just like dead. It's like a ghost town. There's like nobody around, and you're kind of wondering is like oh, are we seeing, like, the aftermath after, like, what ha- Like, are we going to see, you know, why nobody's around, why the town is dead? Like and then we're just, like... Like, synths, too. Yeah, yeah and then yeah, we finally really work our way through town and get over to the football field, and we see that the town is dead because everyone's at the high school football game. Yeah. Um, just, like, again, uh, a master class of just, like, good, clean, clever editing. Mm-hmm. So refreshing to see that in a movie, isn't it? It really is. And what I love about it, too, is for as rich as this film is and for as perfectly well-written as it is and as as just bombastic as the, the sequences are, especially over the original film, how much this movie is still kind of a love letter to the original film. Like, the so many of the beats are all still there. Mm-hmm. There's still plenty of like I mean far more respect than we paid it <laughs> sure on the last episode like there's still like plenty of love and care and they were able to like sift through the original film and look through all of the moments all of the beats and keep everything that had value it's it's fucking surgical like like yeah. um one of my favorite just goes aspects. to show that you can tell almost the exact same story and it can be good. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think the biggest thing is they kind of rug pull you with that in this one. Because in, they in certain ways, take a they lot do. of expectations from the original and, you know, subvert them in yeah. big ways. And I don't want to jump into that just yet. Well, but. I think I think it's about we can start getting into, like, the first big one, you know, sure. like. The the events are basically the same as the first one, you know. We see the the hobo out in his shack with his dog, and he's crushing cans that, that he's collected. So cute. No, and Very his shack has like really nice texture, like it's just covered with hung hubcaps. with hubcaps. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. And he's just wearing a, a cast iron skillet on his foot to smash to smash cans the cans. So much, yeah, there's so much texture. Um, and, dude, we see him before also because when the cool guy, what's his name, um, Brian, Brian, when Brian Flag wrecks his motorcycle. 
building. He's kind of lying in the ditch. He looks up and he sees the homeless guy there. So they yeah. have a moment. Because he's there collecting cans yeah. and he pours the a little beer out of the one that he's holding before he puts that it into his bag. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like pour one so, out. It's like, oh man, you beefed your stunt. Sorry, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I like that that kind of like charming moment they have between each other before but, um, we cut back to the hobo later. Yeah, so you know, the hobo's doing his thing. Same, same deal as the 50s one. He sees a meteorite fall out of the sky. Um, he goes to where it has crashed and he sees, you know, something in it and starts poking at it with a stick, um, gets, you know, this little goopy blob on the stick and it leaps onto his hand and latches on. Um, and you know, we cut to Paul and Meg driving out in the country, going on their date, whatever. And, you know, uh, the old man, the bum runs into the road and they, you know, hit him with the car, very similar to the 50s one, except this one has the addition of Brian being there because he ran into the hobo first because he's out he's out there fixing his motorcycle yeah. from busting it earlier. I love the scene when Brian runs into the, uh, the homeless guy in the forest because the homeless guy appears in front of Brian and he has it like a machete. He has a hatchet. A hatchet. Yeah, mm-hmm. he has a hatchet in his hand and just starts chopping his hand trying to chop his hand off. Yeah. Obviously the blob covers that so he fails. Yeah, it's cool. But... It's like he he cuts into it and the blob like works its way farther up his arm and like covers the wound. And you kind of get the sense that like it it goes further up its arm after he cuts into it cuz it's thirsty. Yeah. You know, it it like slurps up over it. It's it's cool. Uh, I love it, too, because uh, even Brian going back to his motorcycle has a great deal of weight because he has to go back into town first, and he goes by the mechanic shop. And in the mechanic shop, they set up the snowmobile mm-hmm. super early on. And I love that because, like, it's it's clear... that's It's a wonderful touch for, for people who have seen the, fir- the first film, like us, um, who recognize, like, oh, yeah, we know. We know that cold... That the cold is its weakness. So setting up, like, a big snow truck... Amazing. Well, like, it's, it's not such just a, a snow truck. Like it, you know, this is kind of a ski town, mm-hmm. and for the last couple seasons, they've gotten a light snowfall. So it's like they they mention it as an avalanche shooter yeah. on a sign at the beginning of the movie. So it's to cover, you know, cover the slopes with slopes, with yeah. manufactured snow. Well, yeah, because they they mention and not just in this scene, but other characters multiple times throughout the movie mention that this is like an unseasonably warm October. Mm-hmm. That like it should be cold at this point. They should be getting snow soon, but it's been too warm. Which again is nice. Like okay, the snow isn't going to come save them because the blob is weak to cold, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, so they, jumping back ahead, they, they hit the homeless guy, and they put him in the car, and they take him to the hospital. They kind of just, like, put him off in a room somewhere. They're like, he doesn't have, does he have any kind of health insurance or anything? It's like, well, you're going to have to, you know... It's real dystopian gonna, shit. It's like, you're going to have to fill out, yeah, well, yeah. you're going to have to fill out all this paperwork, and it's like the doctor's with another patient right now. It's like they just, like 
do not give a shit. The doctor who turns out to be played by Jack Nance. Jack Nance in a, just like a very tiny little role. Well, he's in a like cameo. Yeah, essentially. he's he basically does nothing. Um, he runs into the room and then he runs out of the room. Uh, nice to see him nonetheless, yeah. though. But yeah, as they're sitting, Paul's sitting there filling out all the paperwork, and he's like. You know, he's he's kind of flirting with Meg and like, oh, you know, I bet this is this is probably the worst first date you've ever been on, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you want me to get you a soda? She's like, yeah. So he gets up and goes to the vending machine and he sees sort of like down at the end of the hall, he can see into the hobo's room and he's covered with a blanket. And he sees something moving underneath the blanket. Direct Just reference like, to yep, the fifties, from one. the fifties one, but it looks less, much less like the hobos is jerking off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it has it has a much uh, a much more shocking payoff as well. Because yeah. he goes into the room, and you know, first he like the hobo's head sort of rolls towards him, and he his its eyes are all his eyes are all white, and there's like something moving like in his neck and his mouth. And so Paul, like, runs out and goes and gets the doctor, and they run back in and pull the blanket down, and the hobo is just, like, gone from, like, the chest down, like, totally dissolved. Yeah, yeah, it does look like he's been, like, melted yeah. below. And it always does. It's it's that same goopy flesh uh, with all the little tendrils mm-hmm. that uh, you, you would get in something like The Thing as well that is just... Yeah, the the blob the blob is much uh, is much fleshier in this one. I I was reading that they were saying they wanted it to look like an inside out stomach. Um, It does, and it it has yeah that organ quality. Yeah, we were joking. It's fleshy and veiny. Yeah, Yeah, we were joking about how the original kind of looks tasty. This one does not. This one does not look tasty. No, not at all. I would not eat this blob. Except maybe once it gets frozen at the yeah, end, then yeah. it's kind of tasty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the the big aspect of the scene is, yes. you know, Paul runs off to the other room, and uh, the blob is hiding behind the door. Yeah, the he's blob, trying to call the, the police. The master of stealth in this movie. It's it's crawling along the walls. Yeah, just and like then the, the ceiling says, and then the ceiling. I love that scene though because. Uh, it's emphasized how corrosive the blob is in this version mm-hmm. because we get the classic uh, alien-esque shot where, you know, it's it's dripping acid onto the desk. Yeah, he sees it dripping and, like, sizzling, and then he looks up, and it's too late, and it leaps off the ceiling on to, onto him. But what I like is we see it leap, and we hear him scream, and we cut to the cheerleader. Um, so we don't know at that point if he's actually gone because you know movies fake that sort of thing all the time and and plus he's largely set up as the protagonist of the film i mean he is he's playing he's playing the steve mcqueen role yeah he's gonna live and so this is you know subversion number one basically ben Mm -hmm. um and uh like you were saying and and then she runs down the hall and we get that iconic shot of him just absolutely covered in the ooze just being melted from the inside of this creature as he stretches his hand out towards her it looks 
horrifying. It's a horrifying yeah. effect. I I saw this movie at a very impressionable age when I was probably like twelve or thirteen. This I saw it on I saw it on TV at at a friend's house. It was on like Sci Fi Channel or something. Is this movie and Abominable are like the <laughs> like which is <laughs> weird. I know. Shout out, shout out to Abominable, but it's like the, those are two movies that I saw like on Sci Fi Channel at a young age that have like left a big impression on me. And like this scene in particular. I still find it like one of the most like upsetting on screen film deaths in like any horror movie I've ever seen. Is... Yeah, and I think it has all the more impact because the character is set up to be the protagonist. So it yeah. completely blindsides the audience. And I love that. I, I think that's something that horror films don't do enough of. You know, I, mm-hmm. we rarely see someone set up as a protagonist dying early. I think. The last big one that we we covered on the podcast was probably like the hunt, where you know they they switch off between protagonists. A lot oh yeah, maybe. there's probably been one or two since then, but I'm blanking. It's right more now. rare than it should be. It certainly is. Yeah, um, it's a great subversion. I think Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell in writing this take it a step further because it's not only. Paul as our tentative protagonist that gets killed off. But he sets up other characters that are fully well-rounded and developed that are later, you know, Well, yeah, off. other characters that in the 50s one are much more, like, central, like, hero characters who, you know, get killed off in unexpected times. And, and it really d- it does a great job of, like, making you feel like no characters are safe. Um, yeah, and it turns out when you give flavor and texture and character to these minor players, suddenly their their deaths have way more impact. Yeah, you know. So, and it's it's all done naturally. It's all done in service of the plot and to elevate the movie, and also done entertainingly. Um, far more so than I would say, like a another film that tries to do that a lot, like uh, like I'd say Halloween Kills, mm. where. You know, like, they have, they'll feature the characters talking to each other for ten minutes, you know, before Michael Myers comes and kills them off. But that's not the same. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's all, it's all done in service of, like, the overarching narrative as opposed to just, like, just for the sake of doing that. Like, I think, I think just setting up characters to kill them off is not enough on its own. Like, you really need to have the I mean, whole gamut. I think it can be, depending on the movie. Like, some movies, like, you really do just need bodies, you know? Yeah. But for a movie like this okay. that has such a high body count, pretty much everybody that you see die has had some sort of, like, genuine character, like, development or setup earlier yeah. in the movie. Even with the hazmat guys, like, they get a line in. Yeah, it's like, like they, they try to give them something. It doesn't feel like anybody in this movie is just bodies, really. Even like the more minor characters, or at least like having an idea of who they are as characters makes their deaths feel more impactful and meaningful. And when coupled with just like the absolutely insanely good and grotesque effects, it's a perfect film. It's, yeah, I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. A lot of these deaths feel like a gut punch. Like, Paul's death feels like a gut punch. It's horrible. And it is, like, the effect is just, like, easily up there alongside 
the the dog kennel scene in the thing yeah. or you know a- anything like that or you know fucking Jeff Goldblum like vomiting on the dude's leg in the fly like it it's it's right there yeah and you know like as Meg is like taking his hand and trying to like pull him oh. out of the blob like as he's being melted and like his his face is like collapsing in on itself and like his jaw is distending further and further as he screams and the arm like comes flying off and and the the flesh at the 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 base of the uh, like the flesh on the forearm um is just so vibrant and red in you can another... see like the tendons and like the muscles stretching yeah. as like the arm comes it's... loose from the rest of him and it's so colorful and the scene is largely lit blue um most of the film is is just that that classic 80s blue lights and fog yep. man that yeah. i just love and, it, well, and it's always like juxtaposed the with the 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 red the red flesh yeah, yeah well much like the original this is all set over the course of one night yep and you but know, it's so much nicer to look at even, yeah it was so much yeah, nicer it's, to it's look way at way more dynamic <laughs> yeah um, absolutely well yeah i mean you can actually see things at night you know again they've got you know it's very sourcey lighting you know as was common in the 80s but i don't give a shit i like to be able to see things <laughs> i don't care if it's obviously just a spotlight they put in those trees yeah. over there and pump some, some fog through like yeah it looks Whatever good it, it looks good i can see it i can see what the fuck mm-hmm. is going on and like the blue is just like so nicely contrasted with like the pink and purple and red of the blob. It's all blues and reds, um, baby. And, and, and too, like, when you get that smoke, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of smoke mm-hmm. machine shots. Uh, tons. I mean, most of the film. I mean, hell, when the, when the government shows up, it, it, it reminds me of, like, E.T. E.T. Yeah. Yeah, we even get, like, a, the, the motorcycle, like, when he finally does make the jump going through the air with the guys chasing after. It's all very E.T., like the yeah. bicycle scene. But, um... Yeah, it's it's all Except smoke he doesn't start in the woods flying. and uh, yeah, no. uh, but the other thing to note too is because it's an '80s film and it's all shot on just primo film, it's swimmy grain. Like it's very pretty, swimmy, luscious, vibrant grain. Yeah, in well, it's the shot. Fog. It's shot on film. That's it, what you get when you shoot on film. Like fuck, it just it looks so delicious and textured. Not like they had any other choice in 88. No, but man. They could have shot on video 8, I guess. Yes, yeah, but no, it's, it's so, it's so fucking good to look at. Yeah. Um, Just, just a, just again, a a fucking feast in every way. Technically, I I think it comes down to detail too, like, with the effects, like, with the arm being ripped off that we were mentioning about earlier, like, when it's on the ground, we get a shot of it just laying on the ground, like, twitching and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's something small that, like, you know, lesser directors or writers would kind of brush over and just skip to the next well, scene. Well, I mean, yeah, and and th- those kinds of details take more work. Yeah. Because you got, then that's not just a prosthetic, it's an animatronic, right? Yeah. Those are easy corners to cut. And... Certainly, I don't think most directors would be wrong for cutting those corners. But when those details are there, mm. it just like just adds adds impact. Yeah, yeah, it adds impact and adds flavor, and it just it's just those moments that make you go, yeah. 
Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, even. Fuck yeah, that's and movie. That's movies, and, baby. And this movie, it's like, we're not just saying fuck yeah at the practicals. We're not just saying fuck yeah at, like, the, the visuals. We're also just saying fuck yeah at the story. And everything. Everything. Yeah. Like, across the board, the music, too. Yes, well, I brought it up. Might as well mention it. I think this film strikes a very interesting balance between synthetic and orchestral. There's always some very clear choices of when to do which. Um, and... The first time it kind of threw me, like, the, the hospital scene, uh, going back to that, uh, and and then beyond, like, where there's there's so many of these sequences where people are just getting ripped apart, and we see their, their flesh being warped inside of this creature, and uh, it's, it's, it's horrifying and galling. They're going for, like, very bombastic orchestral music mm. during some of those scenes, and it's kind of, it's almost needed. Because, like, the, the opposite would be to do something more synthy and more industrial and, and darker. Um, but because they're they're playing music that could, that could fit in any... It's it's almost John Williams-esque at times. Like, they, they could fit in, like, a Steven Spielberg film or... Like, the, the music that's playing it's while people cinematic. are being devoured by the blob yeah. could be played uh, in tandem with, like, Indiana Jones, like, being chased by the Nazis. You know? Like, it's, it's, the, it's, it's very cinematic music. Um, for for a sequence that is very much pretty heavy, mm. um, I think it adds to the fantasy, and it almost makes it to me like more palatable and easier to watch. Like when the football player is getting destroyed, like there's still like a whole horn line playing, you know. And there's, yeah. there's just something about that 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 you know gives it like an element of fantasy. That while it's still a gut punch, it's not it's not grim dark in the same way, I guess. It, to me, it feels like it raises the production value and 100%. makes the yeah. movie feel a lot more expensive than it probably was. I've uh, always do great. that, man. Yeah, absolutely. This movie, the budget for this movie was supposedly about nineteen million dollars. Um, wow. So not like, not cheap. Um, in in eighty for, in eighty eight, you know, movie. for a horror movie, and about nine million dollars was effects budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, they use it so yeah. well. Yeah, we got to talk about like the diner sequence. Before we do, I think the one scene that comes between that is Paul's friend. Um, oh God! Yeah. Yes, I want to talk Fuck, about that scene. So many. That wow. scene. Holy that shit. scene is God, one of the, the few scenes so in the movie that's not directly tied to the main story, but it works for the film because it's such a great scene and yeah. effect sequence, and there's so much character flavor to Paul's uh, sleazy friend with his uh, souped-up trunk. I love that. It was a. I was really taken aback by it. So, yeah, Paul's friend, um, uh, who was also trying to get a girl, obviously. Um, yeah, he was buying the condoms for himself. Yeah. Uh, we also made a note to uh, shout out to like the uh, front seats on '80s cars. Bench seats. Bench, bench seats. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to bench need seats. To bring back bench seats. Yeah, bring back bench seats. It was funny because we the, the previous scene in the car, like oh, it was a different car, but also had bench seats, and we were talking about how like yeah, they're good for for Mackin. Yeah. You know, they're like, and, and like, it, for, you can actually put your arm around someone in like a, in a, in a, in a bench seat. It's the sloppy toppy scene. And that, and, um, and then we cut to a scene where it's being used for that, which is very funny. Yeah. Um, you really think about it's like in a modern car, like it just doesn't work. 
no, man, the center console's in the way. Yeah, fucked up. So so inconvenient. I know. It's like and Puritan. I get I get back in the day when you had to have a place for like your CDs and your your cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. But like, let's we can get rid of the center console now. Not let's bring either. back yeah. let's bring back bench seats. Let's bring yeah. back the sloppy top seats <laughs> and cars. You should be able to fit three, maybe even four people in the front seat yeah. of a car. Absolutely. I think. And through the windshields. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> when you start thinking about it, I think the real practical There's reason is, reason, like, yeah. you can't really put air back. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, yeah. Because yeah. that space in the middle is kind of taken up by, yeah, like... that's a whole suburban family gone. Like, the radio yeah. and your air conditioning controls and everything, so, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, maybe we don't need to bring back Look, bench no, seats. Just don't put a seatbelt there. <laughs> Even better. And it's just, it's just for when the car is parked, okay? Just trust people to do that. Sure. Like... That's all don't you need. drive. Yeah, make it illegal to drive with three people. In yeah, the front don't side don't drive with three people in the front seat. But the, the space is good. Um, so, anywho, cut to cut to this guy. He's making out with his lady, and he he <laughs> they're kissing. <laughs> he stops. His would you care? What, what, what was the name of his drink? It was so funny. It was like cherry cooler. Oh yeah, yeah would you yeah. care for another one of my special cherry coolers? Well, it's funny because uh, she's kind of relenting and she doesn't want. She's, like, obviously really drunk. Yeah, this, like this dude is a bad of, guy. On oh, the verge yeah. of passing her, out. Her yeah. mouth is stained red from the cherry coolers. Yeah, he's yeah. been and, pumping uh, her full of them, and that's fucked up. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to keep doing this. And he's like, well, you see that ring? He's like, you're wearing my, yeah, you're wearing my ring around your neck. She's got, like, his high school ring, like, on a chain around her neck. He's like, yeah. that means you're my girl, right? She's like, yeah, I guess. He's like, well, yeah, I think you need another one of my my Just special cherry them. coolers. She's like, no, I think I've had enough. He's like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm going to make you another one. So he gets up, and he goes outside, and he goes to his trunk. And it's it's like fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, when he fucking <laughs> opens up this thing. It, it's, it's it's glorious. It's What really is, it's like it's like some Pimp My Ride kind of shit. <laughs> because, like, if there's one thing that, that they did... <laughs> Every episode of that show is put, like, some mad out-of-pocket, unnecessary shit in the trunk. Yeah, like, like the, they never knew what to do like with the aquarium. trunk. Like how many episodes? It. How many episodes of Pimp My Ride did they put, like, a TV screen and a PlayStation in somebody's trunk? It's like, what, like, what do you do? Like, what are you doing, man? There. You're going to pull over to the parking lot with your friends and and play PlayStation out of your trunk? Like, come it's on, man. But, but this dude has basically, like... Like, the point is, he basically has a full bar in his trunk. Yeah. Yes. And it's, like, got all, like, these party lights and everything. And it looks functional. Like, when he opens the trunk, there's an, an additional lid that comes up as well. Like, yeah. Like, clearly, yeah. like, he's got the whole thing refrigerated. And, like, yeah. it keeps everything cool. My favorite detail of the stuff in the trunk is he has a box full of uh, necklaces with... Class rings on them. <laughs> He's just been handing them out all over yeah. town. This is a small town. You think you think the girls would get wise to that at some point? <laughs> I like my I like favorite, that like this is only the third one he's used, you know? He's just got like just he's just ready to do this forever. My right? favorite detail <laughs> is that he's got like a little tiny hand mixer too. Yeah. Oh, like man. an electric yeah. mixer. Yeah, yeah. like a and little, like a little electric too. hand it's mixer. Okay. Yeah, well, he's like mixing up the drinks. There's a little uh, there's a little basketball hoop in it. Like, yeah. It's and so like so the whole cute. time he's doing this it's also, it would never work. The drinks would just go everywhere as soon as he starts driving. Yeah. Like that's the fun. Like there's complete you, you really have to completely suspend disbelief for it, which to me 
makes it even yeah, more Yeah, absolutely. As soon as you start moving, all of those bottles would shatter. Clean, clean, yeah. um, <laughs> but, like, the, the whole... So the whole time he's doing this, it's cutting back. There's, like, we see there's movement in the grass and we see from like the blob's perspective as it like slithers can. slithers up into the car evil dead style yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i love when we get the blob love POV a creature in this a creature movie. cam yeah, yeah. um it, so it like slithers up into the car and like the girlfriend is like totally passed out at this point and he gets back into the car and sees that she's passed out and is like ho 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 that it's raping time uh, <laughs> well I, he, he I mean, he does. He does, right? He does. That is what he oh. does because he's like, ooh, she's asleep. He's like, oh, you must be hot. Let me undo one of these buttons for you. Ooh. Oh, you're still hot? Let me undo another one of these buttons for you. And it's like the whole time it's like we know the blob is in the car. And it's like we know that he's about to get his, uh, frankly, his deserved comeuppance at this point. Um, but what's great is, or at least the I'll first time. He gets hentai. The first time, the first time you see it, you're probably not expecting where the blob actually comes from. Um, I, I certainly wasn't. I, you know, you expect it to be like in the back seat or something. Um, but like as he goes to um, fondle her breast, uh, his hand like goes into her chest cavity. You know what it reminds me of is. Once again, the thing when they they go to yeah to do the defibrillator and the mouth yeah. opens up, yeah, it is kind of similar. Mouth, well, yeah, his hand goes into her chest cavity, like her face turns to him, and it just sort of like collapses in on itself, and like tentacles of the blob like explode out of her face onto him. And he gets tied. Yeah, and he gets hentai. It's fucking awesome. It's so cool. It's so cool. Like, wow, what a, what an amazing film. Uh, yeah. Oh, just just joy. Uh, it's like yeah. So while he was mixing up that drink, the blob like got inside of her without like burning through her flesh. It was just like hanging it's out small in there. Enough at that point. Yeah, and it's taking it's one its of time, those things yeah. where like the effect is so cool. It's so cool. That, like I I don't completely Suspended care. About I don't the... give a shit, man. No, it's yeah, such it's it. such a great moment. We've we've got a clip right along because the next because yeah. the we still got to talk about the diner scene and the movie theater scene and Let's the sewer the scene. Yeah. Yeah. The, the diner a, comes next. I have a cool note. This is one of my favorite aspects of how they pay homage and and just cut all and trim all of the fat. Uh, in the original film, they they do the freezer scene at the grocery store, and there's that whole sequence, and it runs so long, and there's all these other things that get caught up. Here, they've just cut the... they the, for As rich as this film is, they just cut the grocery store. No need for it. Waste of time. And they use the walk-in freezer at the diner, which makes perfect sense. Yep. So, like, uh, I, I, I love that. And they, they set it up the same way. Um... Just with so much more texture, I, I love when the the blob goes under. I work, I'm, whatever. Um, I love I love when the blob goes under the f- the the boards on the door, like all splinter and go out. It's a really nice touch. It's just constant in the film. Also, if you look closely at the walk-in freezer, they really just took a bunch of like cardboard boxes and they just sprayed like white paint and foam over them to make them look frozen and cold. Yeah, make it look like ice. And it's great. It's really charming, and it, it, it works. It gives the really good texture. Well, I, I love how tongue-in-cheek some of the references in that scene are. Like, as they're running through the the diner, uh, Brian knocks over a can. Like in the original, where the girl knocks over a bunch of cans, except this time, it's strawberry jam, which yeah. obviously is... 
uh, criticism of the original <laughs> he, one. He says, it's, it's I, he says I, killed, I killed the strawberry jam. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and they do that earlier in the movie, too. We didn't mention it, but, like, uh, after the, the blob initially gets on the homeless guy's hand, we immediately smash cut to a kid eating... Like uh, red jello. Jello. Oh, he's like slurping, slurping it, up it off mouth. the plate. Yeah, and his, his mom mouth. is like, "Don't yeah. eat with your face." <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of faces that get eaten later on. Well, uh, speaking of faces that get eaten, that's how like the diner scene like really kicks off. Oh, yeah. Is you know they're closing up for the night and like the cook is back there and like the the sink is clogged, so he's trying to unclog it and he reach he reaches down in there and he's digging around. He becomes the clog. And, uh, he does. Uh, I, I love it because, like, he's, he's, like, digging around in the drain. He's, like, up to his forearm, and you're, like, expecting the blob to, like, grab his hand, right? But then it's like, nope, he pulls his hand out, and he's kind of, like, got some slime on his fingers, and he's like, what the fuck is this? And then basically just, yeah, like, him. a hand, basically, made out of goo, shoots out of the drain and wraps around his head and pulls him into the sink drain, uh, like, completely. And it's it's so fast, it just whips him in there. And yeah. And, like, to, like with, with such immediate power and strength, that his whole head just goes right down that drain. Well, and like then, enough to just pull like a head through metal like yeah. fast. Okay. And it's and and it doesn't feel like a Looney Tune. It, it is like we're at, we're watching like like something that is almost cartoonish. But it's given such weight and the it's horrifying. Is so good that it, it, you believe it. You it, believe that it's that. Well, powerful. and then it's a master class of editing again. Yes. Like, yeah. I think in. If it was worse edited, Every it would element. feel Looney Tunes as hell. Like, well, and and then it takes so many people. We gotta make it. And make then it the waitress back. and Meg and Brian like come running into the kitchen, and they just see like his legs and like one of his hands like sticking up out of the drain, and like the hand is still like twitching and moving as it all gets like sucked down yeah. and into the, the drain, and the like drain, the pipe under the it is like bulk up and bleed. Yeah. Ugh. It's so cool. It's so fucking cool. Um, And it's after that point that, you know, they run into the freezer and it tries to chase them and they first realize that it doesn't like the cold. But then it goes outside um, to follow the waitress. She just, like, jumps through the window into the alley and runs into the phone booth and she's trying to call the cops. And, you know, there's a really nice scene at the beginning uh, in the diner where she's, like, flirting with the sheriff and, you know, as he leaves, he realizes that um, on on the check he wrote, or she wrote, like, I get off at 11. And he was already, like, after the what they think was the murder of Paul, because they don't believe uh, Meg's story about uh, a big blob monster, right? Um, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm worried about a friend of mine, so I got to go check on her. And he's, like, on his way to the diner already. And as she's in the phone booth, she's, like, trying to call. She can't get anybody in the phone. The blob is on the roof, and it's just, like, bleeding down, slowly covering more and more of the the telephone booth. And she finally gets 
the police station on the phone. She's like, where's, you know, Sheriff so-and-so? And the lady on the phone is like, I don't know. He's supposed, he said he was going to the diner. And, like, right at that moment, she looks up and the sheriff's face just, like, swims into the shot, like, up up against, like, the glass as it's, like, being dissolved. You can see, like, the badge and everything next to it. It's like, oh, man. That's another the case where, like... was just... It's so earnestly set up. You yeah. really believe that they're gonna get away in the end. It's, like, it's another it's like, rug pull, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it's a trope that, you know, in these dire circumstances in a horror movie, you expect them to get out at the last second. You know, even in the telephone booth, you're like... Oh, she's surrounded. How is she going to get out now? She does not. She does not. <laughs> she yeah. absolutely does not. That and, that ef- that effect of uh, like the blob like crashing through the door and the force um, and weight of it because like honestly, they use like a yeah. dummy yeah. for her and they do it at full force like it's pressurized and it it looks like a fucking crash cam. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is my favorite sequence of the movie. The the telephone it's so good, sequence. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, once again, like the the gut punch impact of having these well developed characters that you think are going to play a major role in the movie, good well, yeah. people like, killed off. You yeah, think, like, like so you much... think the sheriff? Because in the fifties one, you know the the sheriff or the chief police or whatever was like he's around till the end. Like he's one of like the central characters, and they kind of set him up in the same way as Paul in this one, where like you feel like he's going to be, like, one of the heroes or whatever, and we don't even see him get grabbed by the blob. We just see his dissolving body, you know, inside it, pressed up against the phone booth right before the waitress, you know, gets got. And, yeah, it's uh, it's bad times, man. Yeah. Bad well, times for all these characters. You assume, too, that he probably saw it from down the block and ran in to help, you know, just trying to... Yeah, and it, just, and it just swamped him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This point is actually kind of a good segue into like how the ideas generally of the two films kind of differ, right? Like the original one, uh, you know, you can read into it as the blob being kind of the red force of communism that's yeah. consuming everything. But, you know, the con- community comes together with the authorities in the community to overcome. Yeah. And in this movie, on the other hand, the police are bumbling idiots. They they don't really help much. They are, mm-hmm. and also the blob is not, and this is jumping forward a little bit, but worth talking about, in this the blob is not the invading force of communism, it's the, the overreach of the U.S. government. Yeah, I mean, like, mm-hmm. it, at the end of the original blob, the government comes in and saves the day at the end. Yeah. And in this movie, that's completely subverted. The government are straight up the villains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they they come in in their hazmat suits with their helicopters and everything under the pretense of, like, you know, there's a virus, you know, that we think is loose in this town. We got to quarantine everything. And, like, Meg and Brian tell them about, you know, seeing the blob, and they're like, Oh, thank you so much for telling us. This is great. This is great news. Or, like, this is very good to know. We just have to kill it and everything will be okay. And then later, like, Brian is, like, eavesdropping on them. And he sees... I love that reveal, too. Where they're, like... The government is, like, all set up around, like, the crater where the meteorite is. And they lift it up out of the ground. And you can see that, like under all the dirt and stuff that was covering it, it's actually like a metal satellite and it's got 
a, an American flag yeah. on it. That's such a nice, a great little like moment of revelation that it's not like a meteorite, that it was a satellite. And they talk about how they had like sent microbes into space to basically be bombarded by cosmic radiation because they figured it would produce like some sort of mutating effect because they're trying to create like bioweapons to use against the Russians, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. to keep in mind too, this is this is two years after the Challenger. Oh, yeah. And and frankly when it was, this was written and made also, I, I don't know how long this movie's timeline was, but usually an effects film like this takes, you know, a good, what, two years? A in year, some cases. Yeah. yeah. A year, two years. That, t- that timeline adds up pretty well for, you know, like, crashed satellites and, you know, like, mistakes well, and... I mean, you still, know, like, you were still in the cold... It's still in the tail end of the Cold War and, the you know, the space race and everything, sure. so... Um, but yeah, I, I, and I mean, like, it... Generally, like, the messaging is very anti-war and anti-military overreach. Yeah. You know? The gov- the, the U.S. government are the bad guys in yeah, this. Yeah. Explicitly, they're the yeah, bad guys. so I think uh, having such a different message in the film makes it feel like it's way more relevant to contemporary society than the yeah. 50s one, you know? Like... Well, I mean, I would like, say I would say the '50s one was rel- was relevant to its contemporary its contemporary time. Sure, um, sure. But uh, but like this one almost feels countercultural in yeah. a sense because you know '88 was like the end of the Reagan era. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, this is I think you know Vietnam was like the major turning point for a lot of that yeah. sentiment. It's like the '50s one is very much a pre-Vietnam movie, and yeah. this was very much a post-Vietnam yeah, movie. Because like the 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 government, like the spooks, are the fucking bad guys. They're like, this is we are explicitly trying to. This is a bioweapons experiment, and this entire town is expendable. We have to seal everything off, and we got to take this creature alive because with this, like, we can defeat the Russians. That's a movie that I want to see. Well, the the core irony of that is so much of Russia is Arctic tundra. That's true. They just have to retreat. To, yeah, that was that was the mistake that Hitler made, right? And Napoleon. <laughs> That'd be so funny if they just like shoot the blob and like a missile over to Russia and it just lands it like imme- just like immediately <laughs> freezes. <laughs> Russia's just like the fuck. Um, I I also love how much they do try to kill kill it with fire in this movie. There's flamethrowers. Yeah. Uh, the flamethrower kill is great, too. Which is a- fool. It's foolish that you're trying to kill it with fire because it survived the reentry of the atmosphere. Right. Like, the the, me- the the satellite, or what we think of the time as a meteor, is, like, smoking. Like, it's burning. Yeah. You know? Um, so, of course, it could survive heat. Yeah, which is maybe how it mutated, too. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, but, yeah, the, the flamethrower kill you're talking about so is so good. cool. They've got the hazmat guy. And he's, at this point, it's a giant. It's a kaiju. It's going around the town trying to eat people and stuff. And the flamethrower guy comes out, and he's hitting it. And all it does is it just sends a tentacle forward that hits the front of the... Just plugs up. Pl- plugs it up, and boom, he goes You know, he goes off. And, and it's, that, it's great. That sets the reverend on fire who's standing next to him, too. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't talk about that... Uh, 
uh, right after the diner scene, like the Reverend is walking home and he sees like the blob after it has like destroyed the phone booth and he sees it like slithering down into the sewer and he goes into the diner and into the freezer and he finds like little frozen pieces of it, um, which becomes relevant later um so like tracking what the reverend is doing throughout the movie he's not around a whole lot but it's important yeah um well well, we should talk about the movie theater yes this is uh this whole part leads into uh you know arguably the the climax of the film um which is crazy because there's so many like great climactic moments in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah but just like in the 50s one um, the blob attacks like a midnight horror, a midnight spook show. And, you know, it's important to mention Meg's brother, little brother, probably like 11, mm-hmm. was there with his friend. They snuck in because uh, his... The friend's brother is an usher yeah, at the theater. Yeah. yeah, And I love the banter and sequence of them watching the slasher movie because there's a dude sitting behind mm-hmm. them who's, like, saying what's about to happen to his girlfriend. Yeah. And the kid keeps looking back and giving him, like, a Costanza look. I I do do really love, uh, again, another little clever editing thing, is how they, like, first introduce the movie scene, where it's, like, you know, after the diner scene and all of this, we cut to, like a man and a woman like out in the woods by a fire and they're like making out and um they're sitting there and like they look up and they see like a dude like trimming the hedges up by the road and they're like it's it's a little late to be trimming the hedges isn't it maybe he's some kind of peeping tom and like oh let's give him something to peep at and you know so they start like kissing more and fondling and then like the guy like looks up and he's got a uh, a hockey mask on mm-hmm. and it's like wait what the fuck and then it cuts and it's like that's <laughs> that's the movie that they're wa- that the kids are watching in the theater like that little that little just for a minute where you think like oh these are the next people who are going to get swamped by the blob it's like no nah, that's the the movie the kids the are watching off is great and the kids when they're telling the the other guy to to be quiet in the movie theater uh the the big brother who's an usher comes over and he's like, hey guys, you gotta keep it down even though they're the ones telling the other dude to shut up, which is cute. And he's like, you know, hey, take your feet off the seats. Put that out. And, he, and so the kid takes his feet down and the guy leaves and immediately the kid puts his feet back up and he's like, man, why is your brother so lame? And the, Awesome. Those kids I love, are cool. I love like, that those that, kids are so rad. I love that what that, that kid, the friend, while he's watching the movie, he's wearing still got his headphones. He's head. wearing his headphones. He's listening to his Walkman or whatever, like while he's, watching he's the too movie. Cool. Too cool. Yeah, those are like the coolest eight year olds ever. <laughs> like they're um, rad. Well, the the projectionist gets killed in this one, just like in the original. But this one is. I like the so version much. with the vent because it's it's too hot up there. Oh, also, I love that he, I think he's reading an old horror comic. I, I didn't get a close look at him. I think it was like one of those oldies. Yeah, movies. he's he's sitting there. He's reading the, and he's and he's playing he's playing with a yo yo while he's oh, yeah, reading the comic right, or the yeah, magazine or whatever. He's playing with the yo yo. Yeah, he he gets on the intercom. He's like, it's like, what's wrong with the AC? It's like hot as hell up here. And the guy's like, the AC's running full blast. What are you talking about? He's like, I don't know. Something must be blocking it. And he like looks into the vent and it's we very get the, alien yeah again. well we get the blob cam again it's like coming up the vent and it 
you know, lunges at him and he screams. And then we cut to the, the manager or whatever coming in with the flashlight being like, Bob, where are you at? Or whatever his name is. And he's looking around and he can't find him. And then the dude's yo-yo comes down beside his head and he looks up and the blob is fully covering the ceiling and the projectionist is like mid melting in the middle of the big distended mouth yeah and the yo-yo hanging down from his finger (laughs) and you know then the tentacles come down and grab the manager and pull it up um and then you know shortly after that the blob bursts out through the windows we get exactly what you were saying that you wanted in the last one ben exactly where like the film like burns up and then the screen turns red as the blob like blocks the projection as it's coming out the room with red light starting grabbing people and And the shot of it coming through the window looks so good oh yeah Yeah. it's it's composited because they did like a miniature with it and they they threw it up on the back wall as the people are running away so it looks huge yeah coming in and so yeah, much, the compositing looks really good in that scene so much of like especially the latter half of this movie once the blob gets really big is like done with miniatures like they're just like constantly sometimes within like the same or often rather within the same sequence of shots like jumping between like full-size puppets miniatures compositing like animatronics animatronics and stop motion motion. like it's it's crazy and it's like yeah some of the compositing like you know it's it's apparent like it's not it makes it more fun i think it's not the best but yeah it's it's sometimes like like, seeing that 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 edging on compositing like to me, it makes me. It just reminds me of my childhood. It's warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I it's mean, the in, fun kind of seeing the strings. And, and such, here again, it's, it's really not that bad. Yeah, I totally agree. It's in such an effects-heavy film. Just like seeing the craft, like seeing the strings, like it just yeah, it, it just feels like it's giving you a little peek behind the camera of like what techniques they're using to to you know pull off these these crazy set pieces because um, they're. It's so good, man. Um, And there's so much going on in that scene, too. Like, all the people getting grabbed by the blob and, like, flailing around the tentacles. And then, like, Meg comes in. And there's, like, the one woman lying on the floor. And Meg, like, rolls her over. And, like, half of her body is, like, already dissolved and, like, pulling up from the floor like gum. Uh, I love how during that sequence, the light lighting is like strobing the whole time also if you're watching hides hides some of the stop it does it really well too like you know we talk about shooting things in darkness a lot to hide effects details but this movie subverts that by doing strobing and i think it works just as well honestly obviously if you're epileptic (laughs) maybe sure you know look away for this sequence but um, I think it's incredibly um, well done. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, sewers. Yes, the sewers. That's the next big bit. We're we're trucking right along. Um, Meg and the two little boys like go out the back of the theater into the alley, and um, it's a dead end. And the blob is coming for them. So they dive down. They open up a manhole cover and get down into uh, the sewers. And they're running around in there, and uh, some of the government goons 
go down there too. At this point, Brian is like still eavesdropping on them and he hears like the, you know, people on the radio saying like, oh, it followed, you know, the one girl and two kids down into the sewers and the one, like the main doctor, the, the main evil scientist is like, good, we can keep it contained in the sewers. So Brian knows, he's like, oh, Meg's down there. Well, and beyond that, he's like, the civilians down there are disposable. Yeah, they're expendable. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I gotta go save Meg. You know, he gets on his bike and that's when we have like them chasing him with the helicopter and we get the payoff to him trying and failing to jump the bridge earlier. He has to do it for real this time. Again, set up, pay off. Um, and just that that whole sh- that shot, the stunt shot is spectacular. Him jumping the bridge. One of the, the army jeeps chasing him like ramps off and like flips into the gorge. You've got the helicopter flying low with the spotlights coming in behind him as he's jumping over the, the bridge. Just fucking awesome. They catch it from like three angles it's too. Just fucking awesome. It's so cool. It's so fucking cool. And again, like it's so impressive because like we we cover a lot of these sort of monster films where they cut away back to the people on the ground at times, and so often it's insufferable because we're not looking at the fun monster anymore. Why did you take us away from the cool monster? And here you could give a shit because it's so fucking rad and yeah. awesome. Like. And like, the char- you, don't, you don't mind stepping away for a second. Like, and I and I feel like I I feel like I know these characters and I'm invested in what happens to them. Because mm-hmm. um, then we cut back to them, Meg and the two kids in the sewer. They come into sort of like this like big room. The water's like waist deep, and you know they they can they know the blob is coming behind them, and they start trying to like climb a pipe to like get out through a sewer grate. And as they're doing that, the friend gets grabbed and pulled under the water. And Meg sort of, like, goes back and is, like, looking for him. And she can't find him. And then he, like, comes up out of the water, like, half-melted. And is like, man! Probably the scariest of all, like, the distended faces. Yeah, it's like... I mean, once again, it's, like, subverting that classic horror trope of, oh... They're gone underwater for a really long time. How are they going to get out of this? Yeah. Well, they don't. You know? <laughs> right. Like, the or, kid doesn't, at least. Or that, like, you know, he pulls under the... He's get pulled under the water, and he's never seen again, and we know that yeah. he's dead. And instead, they're like, no, we're going to let you see the half-melted 11-year-old before he gets, like, pulled back underwater. And it um, is This movie really... Yeah, this movie really said, fuck them kids. Fuck them kids. <laughs> and again, wow, just yeah. like a subversion, it's like, you're just, like... If usually in horror movies, if kids die, it happens off screen or in a way where you don't see the gruesome details. In this movie, they said, "Nope, you want you want to see a half melted kid? Here's a half melted kid." And you know, then so Meg starts like climbing the pipe after her brother, and you know the blob sort of like rears up out of the water, and it's got like a big mouth, and it's like reaching up towards her and then the government goons come in and and distract it uh long enough for like the brother to crawl out but um she has to find another way because she can't fit out through the grate and then brian shows up he's he has ridden his bike into the sewer um which is fucking sweet and gets great payoff when they they run into a dead end 
and they turn around and like the blob is like in the tunnel behind them but you know the the walls of this tunnel are are like it's a pipe it's a big pipe so he's able to like ramp up on the wall around the blob to go past it it's such a fucking cool effect it's fun too because like when they hit the wall and they have to turn around he ramps a little bit you know like he he gets going and so you're just starting to think like no they're not gonna (laughs) do it are they are they going to have him do, like, a half-pipe stunt there's or so a much, pipe There's stunt? so much great, like, fucking evil Knievel bullshit in this yeah. movie with the motorcycle, which is, like, if you got a character riding a motorcycle, get your fucking, get your fucking use out cool of it. It's cool, too, because, yeah. like, the, the original film, like, it's so steeped in, like, Americana and, um, you know, guys smoking cigarettes and riding cool cars and convertibles and stuff, and it's all with the fins, like... All the, all the 50s Americana stuff, and they just, they lean in so hard with that, because, like, man, motor stunts, that's about as American as it gets. And, hey, we were and talking... It's so cool. We were talking about, like, the, the quote-unquote kids in the original, you know, having, like, big tunnel snake vibes. Well, in this one... Literal Brian, tunnel snake. Tunnel Brian snake, literally yeah. becomes... And Kevin you know Dillon literally becomes a tunnel snake. He rules. <laughs> tunnel snakes... Tunnel snakes rule. Rule, baby. <laughs> Fuck yeah! When he's, I was fucking hooting and hollering when he yeah, fucking he, zooms up on the wall past the blob. Yeah. yeah, I love how. Okay, so they get past the blob and they're making their escape. They run into a goon who's like kind of wounded and horrified. The other, he he's the last one. The yeah. other ones have gotten swamped. Yeah, and they see that there's a ladder up to the surface mm-hmm. and they start climbing it and some goons look down from above and it turns out they're in like the city square yep. and the 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 main evil scientist is there along with the others and the main scientist tells them to close the close the grate yep we have to keep it contained down in the sewers they're they're expendable so leave them down there so they they put the the sewer cover over it and then they uh roll up a big truck to to park on top of yeah it. they put its the wheel on top of the manhole cover so they can't get up off of it um but what they neglected to realize is that the goon has a fucking the goon who's left down in the sewer has a fucking bazooka <laughs> awesome. for some reason so cool. it's great so 80s yeah well i mean and you know he's like he's like too traumatized and terrified to think of what you know to do anything. perfect actor for it too this guy looks so gaunt and horrified yeah like he's, he's just, just ravaged by the the sights he's seen he's just blubbering but but uh yeah, but brian brian notices you know the the bazooka that he's got slung over his shoulder and uh so he says you know fuck it and points it up the ladder towards the manhole cover and shoots it and the truck that's parked on top of it just fucking explodes and again glorious fire they got it from like three or four different angles and we just cut between each angle as it explodes just huge fucking fireball Yes, baby, it's so fucking good. You know, then they they climb back up and they they have a standoff with the government goons and like, which is all I ever wanted from the uh, the original. Well, not all I ever wanted. One of the many things I wanted. Yeah, I wanted so the, much from the original blob movie, where the one cop who doesn't trust Brian, who doesn't trust the main character, um, doesn't have any payoff. Right? Like he he starts to doubt him a little bit in the original film, and then immediately the blob shows up. So there's no moment for. Yeah. any tension here 
this movie gets it in. Gets it in beautifully. There's a there's a Mexican standoff with the, the cop. He's pointing his gun at gun at Brian, and Brian's pointing his gun at the hazmat guys. The hazmat guys are pointing their gun at Brian, and for a second they kind of switch off a little bit because now the cop is like, well, wait a minute. They shouldn't be killing a kid either, even though I want to kill this kid. And then, like, so he yeah, puts right. his gun over at them. And, like, it's great. It's chaotic. It's fun. Um, well, and, the blob still intervenes, too. Of course he does. Of course the main but, evil But we scientist. get a moment of tension before yes, it does. Yes, yes. You know, we get some really nice build-up where it can be revealed to the whole town that the scientists are bad. And Brian yeah. exposes them for the for the villains they are. Because the villain is just like, yo, shoot the kid. Let, let's get this over with. And the cop is like, well, wait a minute. And then, I was just threatening well, to shoot Brian the kid. You would actually shoot the kid. Like, this is one night. How are they here so fast? Yeah, how did they know exactly where to... How did they know to get here? Like, yeah. of co- And, you know, so it casts, some, it casts some doubt. And then long enough for, uh, you know, the blob to intervene. And a tentacle comes out and grabs the evil scientist around his ankle. And, like, pulls him into the sewer. And it's great because, like, he has an M16. And the M16, like, goes sideways across the manhole. So it, like stops him and he's able to grab onto it so like his upper body is poking up out of the sewer and then we just see like the blob like burst up into the the helmet of his hazmat suit and just like jerk him down into the sewer it's great because he doesn't just like fall or is like he's not like loosely pulled down it looks like he's pulled out of the suit and down and yeah the, the, the he's being like snaps. he's being like ripped into the ripped. sewer and it's yeah. so once again the weight the impact of it and and it, uh, essentially in a single shot too like it's it's yeah so effective like this the blob is powerful yes extremely well and then the military guys intervene because the the colonel who is like second in command he's like yeah fuck this let's kill it and they like him and like four or five other dudes walk over to the manhole and just, like, unload their guns, like, down the hole. And then he's like, bring over the satchel charge, short fuse. (laughs) And, like, drops it down there, and there's, like, another big explosion. And they're all like, yes, we did it. It Hooray. The Predator sequence, when, you know, they're all shooting the shit out of the jungle. Yeah. You know, just to clear it out. Yeah, and there's like, and it's like, yes, we did it. A hooray, America. Bald <laughs> Eagle flies by in the background. Um, but no, and then the, like, he sees like the manhole cover shaking, like the ground starts shaking, and the blob just like erupts from the ground in like this big pillar of flesh, flesh and goo. Uh, very Akira style. Yeah. Um, and, uh, really is. And it, it comes down onto like the Colonel, but I love like right before it lands on him, he's got like grenades, like strapped across yeah. his chest awesome. and he like pulls all so the pins, cool. like res. Well, it's cool. But then immediately after that, like we get like a wide shot and we see like little <laughs> flashes of light sort of like inside the blob, but then it just like keeps going. It's like yeah. the grenades did absolutely no. It's immune to explosives. It doesn't fucking give a shit. Like it doesn't have organs to be, damaged it's just like a big uh writhing mass of goo and flesh and you know sort of now to wrap things up um you know they run into like city hall and they're like trying to barricade it and uh brian remembers meg uh is trying to put out the uh priest oh yeah on this one the flamethrower thing happens yeah you're yeah. right he's on fire so she grabs a fire extinguisher 
and she happens to also shoot it at the blob, which is a great reference to yep. the 50s one. Uh, and obviously it's it dawns on her and it's emphasized that the blob doesn't like the cold. Yeah, there, and she remembers back to them in the meat locker, and it seems that Brian has also had the same revelation <coughs> because as they most of the town like runs into like City Hall or whatever to try to hold out and the blob is like trying to get in, Brian comes through with the like snow machine ice truck yeah the ice truck um that was again set up earlier in the movie um and he comes crashing through with that and starts like spraying uh uh snow at the blob and it's got like a big plow on the front of it and he like rams into it but then it like flips over the truck and it's like he's trapped inside it's it's sort of like i feel like that sort of like the parallel to it, like, engulfing the diner and like, the 50s one. Like, it's all on the outside of his truck and he's trapped inside. I mean, it also feels like a subversion, in a way, of the telephone box scene. A little bit, yeah. Because, you know, in that scene... It's very similar. You know, the, the waitress is surrounded and, you know, you're thinking, how is she going to get out? And obviously and she doesn't. she doesn't. And so it brings legitimate tension to the scene yeah where like, yeah, there's no reason why they wouldn't kill him yeah exactly as far as we, exactly. As we believe they've, they've yeah, shown exactly. that they'll, they'll kill anybody well when the truck flipped over the big like co2 tanks that have like that are like the, yeah, the snow creator the liquid nitrogen, nitrogen yeah, yeah um sort of fall off the truck so like uh meg sees the blob like on top of the truck and like about to kill brian and she grabs a gun and runs and jumps up on top of the tanks and starts shooting at it to, like, draw its attention. And as it starts coming for her, she sets a, a satchel charge, like, down in the tanks. I love, she, like, goes to jump off heroically, and, like, her foot gets caught on, like, the hose, and she just kind of, like, smacks the other side of the <laughs> it's, tank. It's a great stunt. It is, yeah. yeah. It, it probably hurt. Yeah, like, it reads with a lot <laughs> and, of impact. And yeah, she's like dangling there. She's trying to get out, but it's given Brian enough time to get out of the truck and he comes and he pulls her off and, you know, they're able to get away as the blob engulfs the tank and the satchel charge goes off, blowing up the the liquid nitrogen and freezing the blob and shattering it into a bajillion pieces of delicious looking tasty rock crystals <laughs> tasty crystals delicious <laughs> looking rock candy um and you know the the whole town comes out and there's like fake snow or you know rather manufactured snow raining down and like the mechanic from the beginning he comes up to brian he's like see i told you we'd have snow and, he's, and he looks at, like, the wreckage of the truck. He's like, I wonder if I'm covered for that shit. <laughs> um, the, the, the whole town comes out, and it's snowing, and everything's nice. And it's, like, it's kind of funny, too, because, like, the other kid comes out, and he's like, oh, look, it's snowing. He's all, it's like, man, that kid would be fucking shitting yeah. and crying and just, just so sad. Pissing, yeah. Like, like his, his friend got, like, melted in front of him. Like, he's, you know, like. But it, it, you know, it's the end of the movie. We gotta, we gotta keep yeah. spirits up. The town is saved. Yeah, the town <laughs> is saved. Fine. The the evil. <laughs> what if like the credits just slowly rolled over the town, lamentably wailing? Uh, <laughs> <no>! <laughs> we need more movies that end like that. Um, well, you know, so so Brian and and Meg embrace uh, yeah, and I hold like each this. other like in the. <laughs> 
in the snow, but we do have a little epilogue um, where we cut to uh, the the reverend. A tent? Uh, he's, uh, he's started like a tent revival yeah. style, you know, traveling tent revival style church and he is you know he's like partially burned he's got glasses have like he has like the one black glasses lens Mm -hmm. you know to hide his covering his blind eye eye, yeah yeah and he's got like long raggedy hair and you know he's preaching uh the end of the world fire and brimstone worm wormwood falling from the sky and consuming saint and sinner alike blah blah all of this shit and then we see him like you know, after the sermon, sort of like in his his section of the tent, and he's like looking at how fucked up he is, and like a woman comes in, she's like, Reverend, when is the day of judgment coming? And he's like, very soon. God will give me a sign, and he holds up a jar that so has a rad. little blob in it, because we saw him putting the crystals that he found in the freezer into that jar earlier, and we see that he's got another blob ready to unleash upon the world when he deems that the time is right, when God gives him a sign. Um, I think it's a much more satisfying uh, end than the original, where they just the drop end? it that they just drop it <laughs> off of a plane into, like, the Arctic or, like, the end? <laughs> this really, yeah, this one really feels more like the end. And then we get uh, the credits with uh, not a blob-centric song, but, you know, it, it does, I, it I does feel like in the same tradition of uh, the, the Dream Warriors yeah, song at the end Nowhere of Nightmare 3. Nowhere near as good. It's not, I, it's not as good I think because totally it's... Oh, man. I, I think, like, technically they though, got, like, they it's got, a dope song. It's really... They got, really Ali- they got Alien instead, instead of Dokken. Yeah, but I, um, I gotta say, though, like, Dancing in the Shadows... Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's corny eighties. Yeah, like, it, rock. It's it's, it's great. great. Like I, shit. it would have been better if they had gotten a Dream Warriors style original song about the Blob. I do Honestly, love the, that. Being said, say, the pink still credits. good. This is the only thing I think the fifties movie does better. the The fifties Blob song is better than. <laughs> yeah, imagine if you've been like, it's yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for God to send me a sign before I wreak havoc across the world. Beware of the blob It creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor And through the door and all along the walls A blotch, a splotch, be careful of the blob Boom, boom, boom <laughs> The world will be annihilated Yeah um, well, I think it's been great I think it's time to rate this. It's time. Um, we I, did it. I think this is if probably this isn't a golden pod. I oh ride. please! It's probably no. it's a formality. We yeah five five five, five. yeah like it is. Uh, <laughs> it is easily one of the the greatest monster movies of all time. Easily uh, one of the best horror films of the eighties. I, I need to I need to sit on it for a little bit, but it might be a new top ten for me, like of all time. It's it's I mean, really fantastic. good. You wouldn't you it's wouldn't be really wrong. Good. It's it's a banger. Um, and getting to watch this and talk about it made made watching the other one last week worth it. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> worth it. Absolutely. Just to see how they did it right. It's a really good study, I think. Yeah. In that. Like, I, I would recommend doing them back it's, to back. Yeah, they, they, uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, geez, if you're going to watch the 50s one at all, absolutely do yourself the favor of watching this one afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. 
Well, yeah, that's that's a unanimous five out of five. The Blob is a golden pod. Happy anniversary, boys! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy podiversary! Happy happy birthday! Um, Next week, we're it's October. We are fully in spooky season, and we got seeing the return of Shawnee Smith. Yes. We're doing, uh, incredibly, have a back-to-back Shawnee Smith uh, <laughs> movies, because uh, it, it's time for Saw 10. What happenstance. Yeah, what happenstance. Well, this is her first Saw movie since 6, I think. Wow. Yeah. I was looking at her IMDb right before we recorded. So she she really avoided, like, mo- really most, of, most of the really bad ones. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I, man, after Jigsaw... Bell as well, for that matter. After, after Jigsaw oh, and, yeah. after Jigsaw and Spiral, my hopes are, my expectations are really, really low for this. That being said, the trailers do sort of look like it's more of a return to form. Mm-hmm. What we expect from Saw, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. <laughs> um, but it might at least, it might at least make me nostalgic, which will be something. Yeah. So, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see some dumbass Rube Goldberg ass machines. It's also I have heard the the longest of of the Saw oh, movies. Boy. That's and not. It's over two hours. Oh wait, what? no! That's not yeah. the... <laughs> why, so, why? What would I, make? I guess they got a lot to say. What would... It's a Saw movie, man. Like tight ninety. Come on. All right, we'll see. Maybe, I guess maybe they got a lot to say. Yeah, I well, hope it is. I do. Yeah, stay, so join us again next week to hear our thoughts on Saw 10. Um, I can't believe they keep making them. They just, they just keep on coming. Yeah. Um, all right, it is time for a sponsor. The shelf, it glows and even dribbles a little bit. Throbs. And throbs. God. Yeah, I, I was going to leave that part out, but it really is throbbing, huh? Beware of the shelf. <laughs> Beware of the shelf. Speaking of uh, horrifying forces beyond our understanding, um, this week was brought to you, uh, to you and to us by a grimoire of unspeakable knowledge and unfathomable secrets. Ponder the words closely. Observe the depths of the mind. Travel to strange places beyond the stars in the realm of dreams and the book of, what was it again? Fuck. A grimoire of unspeakable knowledge and unfathomable secrets. The secrets cannot even be fathomed. Fathomed. That's right. In fact, they're so unfathomable that I can't even that I can't even say the words. That's how. That's how you know. Um, you know, I don't always use the products that are advertised on the show, but this one I can vouch for because I can't say unfathomable. You haven't slept since you read it. I haven't. The true testament the, to the, sec- the, the secrets and yeah. the knowledge. Um, you won't even sleep. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. If you like the show and you want to give us a six year potiversary present, go ahead and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. You can also uh, become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Gotta admit, six years? Six years. Five years about missing a week? Yeah, I think we've I think we have been fully five years at this point without missing an without missing a week. Hell yeah, boys! Consistent. That's yeah. what's up. That's what's that's what's fucking up. How can you um, not? Right. And yeah, so you if if you want to show your appreciation, 
maybe consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. You can get into the Discord and hang out and, and talk with us, and I do monthly streams of video games and stuff. It's fun. Yeah. Um, shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam, Zach, Micah, and Mitchell. Y'all are the realest. So real. Um, you can also follow us at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings, links to those reviews. You can see our full list of golden pods there. Uh, got a, 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 some absolute heaters on there, and The Blob has joined them this week. Uh, outside of that, my recommendation, I recommend an album, the new Grave Pilgrim record, The Bigotry of Purpose. I've been listening to that shit on repeat. If you like your black metal really raw, but also really melodic and catchy, check Ooh. it out. It's it's fire. It's one of my favorite records of the I year, will. for sure. Well, I'm going to recommend a new movie that I, I watched yesterday. Um, it's Blackberry, um, starring oh, Glenn good. Howerton and Jay Baruchel, directed by Matt Johnson, who uh, directed and starred in Nirvana, the band... The show, which you recommended which I last week, recommended last week. Um, it's a great sort of corporate bio thriller comedy blend thing. Um, it it's interesting. It's really great. It's it's a blast. Uh, the the story is really compelling and interesting. Um, there's a lot of great humor in it. Glenn Howerton in particular gives a really incredible performance i heard he goes sicko mode yeah he's he's sort of like a cutthroat ceo type shrewd capitalist i guess you could say a shark um yes um it's it's great i would definitely recommend it tons of fun i think yeah last week i was trying to figure out if the showcase would be out by then or not it's the 20 i think the 21st it's when the showcase of october yeah oh okay that hasn't happened then yet oh okay cool well yeah then go go check out the indie horror showcase um it's also brought on by the mix on Steam, uh, so it'll be broadcasting there, as well as uh, Twitch and all sorts of other places. But yeah, go check it out. Go follow DreadXP and Horror Visuals to find out more. Um, and uh, yeah, tune in, because we're going to have a lot of really cool announcements. And there's uh, just a ton of incredible indie titles that have, have brought trailers to us that we're going we're gonna to show off there. I, I'm, I'm really excited. It's just a cool little little thing for the industry, you know? Like, and that's the 21st of October? Um, I'm not 100% on that, but it's around then. Okay. <laughs> I'm so busy, like, making assets for it and stuff. I, I, well, it's tentatively in a week or two yeah. from the date keep, of release. Yeah, keep, keep a weather And hey, if it has already happened, go check out all the cool trailers from it. Like, you know, worst case scenario. It, yeah. it's, it's fucking rad. All right, well, folks, we thank you for listening, especially those of you who have been with us for six years, if that's anybody. Um, even if you've only been wow. with us for for a, a year, um, we or thank you. So many or trends week. and fashions um, and bits of pop culture and politics and, you know, even a whole fucking pandemic, you know, yeah. have, have happened since we started this fucking thing. It's, it's movies, baby. That's movies. We, that's movies. Cinema. That's cinema. It's we thank cinema. you for six years, and here's to here's to another year, boys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank Hell you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.